Good morning. Today we are doing the third in our series of Rooted. John's already talked about being rooted in God's presence and being rooted in worship. So if you've missed those, I really encourage you to catch up on YouTube. And the overarching verse for all of this series is from Ephesians chapter 3. And it says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Today we're thinking about being rooted in our identity in Christ. Our sense of identity impacts so much. It influences how I think, how I behave, the choices I make, including my relationships with people, and it influences what I do with my life in terms of a job or career. If we have a strong identity in Christ, then we make good choices that are in line with the will of God for our lives. But if we don't, we can allow circumstances and people to define us, and we make choices based on how other people see us. We're going to be unpacking that a bit today and considering how we can make sure our identity is in firmly in who Jesus says we are. So today I'm wearing this lovely sweatshirt that my boys gave me for Mother's Day and they call me Mama a lot of the time. That's my role to them. I'm their mum and you could say that that's part of my identity. I'm a mother. I look after my children. I educate them. I read to them. I make sure they're relatively clean. I make sure they've brushed their teeth before they leave the house. I wash their clothes. I feed them. I provide them with shelter and pocket money. And these are all things that I do that constitutes motherhood. I also really care about them. I love them. I nurture them. I believe in them and I cheer them on. And these are things that I am for my children. I am loving and caring. Identity is often spoken of in terms of a role that we play or a function that we have. If you were asked to introduce yourself, you might first give your name, but then you would quickly follow that with either a role that you play, a job role, or a role within your family or in another community. But a role or a function is just something that comes out of our identity. I am a mother. That is a role and a function as I'm looking after my children. But when they're at school, I don't stop being their mother. My older two children have left home now, though one is at university, so she keeps coming back. But when she's not around, I don't have as big a part to play in their lives. I don't wash their clothes, thank goodness. I don't feed them. I don't provide them with shelter. But does that mean I stop being their mum? No, of course it doesn't. I still care for them. I still love them. I still do all that I can to cheer them on. There's a difference between doing and being. There are things that I do as a mum and things that I am as a mum. I think sometimes we get a bit confused by this. My identity is not in what I do, it's in who I am. And hopefully this is evident in what I do. My sense of purpose and significance should come from who I am so that even when my children aren't around and I'm not functioning in that role of mum, 
I know that I am still their mum at the core of me. So identity is who I am at the core, the caring, loving cheerleader, and that doesn't change no matter what my circumstances are. Very often we associate identity with our sense of significance. If we don't feel significant or like we have a purpose, then we can lose our sense of who we are and we feel worthless. Our identity should go far beyond what we do as we know who we are and who we were created to be at the very core without functioning in a role. Where do we go to find our significance? Well, the Sunday school answer is of course, God, Jesus, the Bible. But how many of us actually look to God and read his word to find our sense of who we are? Or do we listen to what the world tells us? Because that is often the louder voice. I have to be honest with you, this is something that I've been working on recently. Like so many of you, my world changed hugely when the first lockdown hit. I lost the sense of purpose that I found in performing many roles for church, and they mostly disappeared. Most of my hours were suddenly instead taken up with homeschooling. If this lockdown has taught me anything, it has taught me that I'm not cut out for home educating. I know it's a different scenario when it's led by the school and you're having work sent home compared with home educating. Both my sisters are home educators, so I've often considered what it might be like. But I can say without a doubt that my children belong in school. It's better for all of us. I do love my boys dearly, but the constant frustration of having to wrestle with Toby, an active five-year-old, to get him to sit still, pick up a pencil and have a go at writing. He enjoyed the fun learning games, which we did a lot of, but getting anything down on paper to show school was a nightmare. Then at the same time, encouraging nine-year-old Caleb to work more independently because I just couldn't sit with him constantly when his little brother's learning was so hands-on. And dealing with Caleb's understandable jealousy that Toby's work was more fun and that Toby had more of my attention. Add to all that the fact that I never knew what work we were doing until the morning of the day that we were doing it. I couldn't plan or prepare myself for the day ahead until I'd already been thrown into it. I felt so out of control of the situation. It was a juggling act that I hope I never have to pick up again. And the truth is, it sent my mental health crashing. I want to be real about that and let you know that I'm on this journey too. I wonder how many other people have had the same experience that when life is turned upside down and nothing is as it should be, that sense of significance and a sense of who we are is completely lost. I think that two things affect our sense of identity, my view of me and my view of God. So let's have a look at both of these things. First, my view of me. The book of Ephesians is great for tackling our sense of identity in Christ. So let's read chapter 1, verses 1 to 14 together. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world 
to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us, the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfilment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So I just want to um, pick out the things that this passage says about you. It says, you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. You have been chosen. You are blameless in God's sight. You are adopted into God's family. You are God's son or daughter. You have been freely given God's grace. You are redeemed. You are forgiven. You are chosen. Yes, I know I already said that, but it says it again, so I'm going to as well. You are chosen. You are part of God's plan and purpose. You are included in Christ. You are saved. You are marked as belonging to Christ. You are God's possession. You belong to him. Just think how much our lives would change if we could only get a hold of those truths. A couple of years ago, we went to stay with some friends and we had a day trip into Wells. Apart from the beautiful architecture, they also have a pretty cool playground. The main attraction in this playground is a wooden castle with ladders to climb and netting and slides and a really tall fireman's pole. The launching platform is about my eye level. And Caleb, who was seven at the time, had been to many parks and he'd swung down many fireman's poles but he approached this one with caution. He stood at the top of the platform, he looked down, he leant over the edge slightly, and he decided it was just a little bit too high for him. So he turned around and he started climbing down the ladder. I spotted this and I shouted after him, hey, what's your name? Caleb, he said, looking at me really strangely as if that he couldn't believe that his own mother had forgotten his name. And what does your name mean? I asked. Brave, he said. And there was a brief pause, and then he caught my meaning. So he climbed back up the ladder. He went to the top of the fireman's pole. He leant over the edge. He took a deep breath, and he slid down the pole. And he was absolutely elated with himself that he had made it to the bottom unharmed. I think I've told that story before, but it shows so well that when you know who you are, who God says you are, it changes everything. It changes how you see yourself, which in turn changes how you behave. 
The only way that we're going to find out what God thinks about us is by pursuing him and being rooted in his presence and rooted in his word. Psalm 100 verse 3 says, Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. When we pursue a relationship with God, it follows that we find out more about us and who we were created to be. He made us and we are his. John Andrews in his book, First Day, says, If we do not let God define us, then something or someone else will. And whoever gets to define us ultimately gets to control us. And that's the truth of it, isn't it? We're all defined by something or someone. When we're small children, we're defined by our parents or whoever looks after us. But then as we grow older, we allow our friends to have more of a say. If we don't follow Jesus at this point, we can allow the world to define us. And the world is telling us more and more that we can be whoever we want to be, even down to choosing our gender. We can listen to and embrace the world, whether it tells us we're lazy, ugly, a bad person, unlovable, unforgivable, and so on. But this leads to a life trapped in a false identity and dealing with the daily stress of living as a person we weren't created to be. There's an imbalance that's bound to cause chaos in the heart and mind. And it's only when we embrace our true identity by going to our creator that we can be at peace with ourselves and who we are. We can't hope to ever accept ourselves if we're striving to be someone we weren't created to be. If I want to have a good view of me, of who I've been created to be, then I need to allow myself to be defined by God. He knows me at my core. He knows us better than we know ourselves. He speaks life over us, if only we would allow him to. God wasn't confused when he made you. And he says, you are loved, chosen, forgiven, and has given each one of us a unique identity. So we can hear all these wonderful things that God says about us. But none of this means anything at all unless we are able to take God at his word. And we can't take God at his word unless we have a sound view of who God is. So let's continue reading. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. And Paul says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all these things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. 
So Paul prays for the church to be given a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we can know and see God, see who he is and what he stands for, and our identity is built on that knowledge. Once we know who God is, his faithfulness, his love, mercy, grace, then we can trust that what he says about us is true. If we want to know who we are, we need a revelation of who God is. I recently heard the amazing story of a lady called Catherine Wolfe. She's an American Christian author, mother and wife. And when she was just 27 years old, and just six months after her first baby was born, Catherine suffered a massive stroke from a rare brain defect that she didn't even know she had. She was rushed into hospital and underwent surgery for 16 hours. The doctor who performed her surgery said that he expected her to be in a vegetative state for the rest of her life. Miraculously, she relearned to talk, walk and swallow. She lives with disabilities, but she was able to have another baby in 2015. Here is a family that has been to hell and back. But Catherine decided to use her experience to tell others of God's faithfulness. That might sound really strange to some people because surely after all they've been through, she would be so angry at God, especially as she had a modeling career that was beginning to take off. Obviously that didn't happen after her catastrophic stroke and having a young family. Her whole life was turned upside down, yet she still had faith and hope in God. They have a website where you can find the full story called hopeheals.com and their homepage simply says, we're disrupting the myth that joy can only be found in a pain-free life. Catherine's written a couple of books with her husband and she speaks all over the world, encouraging people that God is faithful throughout all circumstances. She says that in our Western culture, we pray very differently and see hardships in a very different light from other cultures. It's as though other cultures have a better understanding of who God is. In our culture, if we go through something difficult in our lives, our first prayer is often, Lord, change my situation. Please get me out of this mess. And of course, we should pray for breakthrough and for God to move in our lives. We can boldly approach the throne of God and ask him to move on our behalf. Absolutely, we can do that and we should do that. But Catherine says that in many other cultures, their first prayer is, Lord, find me faithful as I suffer. Lord, find me faithful as I suffer. That there is an example of a spirit of wisdom and a revelation of God that creates an unshakable identity in Christ. To be able to look at our hardships and difficulties as something that we must go through to strengthen ourselves and strengthen and increase our reliance on God, knowing that God is with us throughout not questioning God's faithfulness to us, but asking God to find us faithful. It's often in the tough times that we can find that deeper sense of God's love for us and even joy throughout our trials. James 1 verse 2 to 4 says, Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. 
It's in the hard times that God is able to show us his love and faithfulness and that we can meet God in a very real way, discovering more about him and therefore more about us in the process. So perhaps think about how you reacted the last time you went through a difficult time. Did you cry out to God to change your situation or did you ask God to find you faithful and look to see what he was doing in that season to challenge you and stretch you? Perhaps you're in that place right now. But it can be seen as a privilege to go through trials as it means that God wants to strengthen you, highlighting areas of your identity that might still need work, breaking down lies that you've declared over yourself, showing you how he sees you. It's in the desert place that we meet with God and learn most about ourselves. John Andrews, in his book, First Day, which is all about learning to rest and living from a place of rest, talks about Jesus being in the desert place, in the wilderness, and facing the temptations of the devil. He says that the first question to Jesus was an attack on his identity. The devil says, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. If you are the son of God. Well, Jesus didn't even entertain this attack. Before going into the wilderness, Jesus was baptized and Luke 3 verse 22 tells us that the voice of God was heard saying, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. His father spoke those words over him and Jesus knew exactly who he was and more importantly, he knew who his father was. He took the words of his father as fact and that gave him the strength to resist the temptation to prove himself or to react to the devil's challenge. How many of us, when faced with the question, who are you really, would have a solid response? How many of us know who we are and whose we are. If we have a view of God as someone who is waiting for us to mess up so that he can tell us off, or someone who's constantly trying to trip us up, then chances are we won't be able to accept that God is a faithful and loving father. And if we can't accept God as someone who is rooting for us and cheering us on, then we won't be able to accept the truth about who we are either. John Andrews comments that our identity is linked to our destiny and that the devil knows this. If the devil can attack our identity, either through using our view of ourselves or our view of God, then he will do that and make us feel less than, worthless, questioning who we are and what we have to offer. That will then almost definitely affect our, our destiny as we will never have the confidence to step into what God created us for. Andrews says, the devil's strategy has proved that if he can destroy identity, he will almost certainly eradicate purpose and destiny at the same time. It's so important that we get rooted in our identity as children of a loving father. It affects our whole future. If we don't know God for who he is, we miss out on all that he has for us. Maybe this is something you're wrestling with right now. You know, we've just had our team's night and we've asked that you let us know what you can offer, what you can bring to the table to work with us in seeing the vision of Hope Church brought to life. Maybe you heard all we had to say and thought that you have nothing to offer. Maybe there's an attack on your confidence. 
Maybe you heard a small voice that said, you can't do what you want to do because you don't have the right skills or experience. Please be assured that all we're looking for is a heart that's in the right place. If you're passionate about something and you want to get involved but you feel that you have nothing to offer, just be brave, take a step, just offer yourself. We will do our best to come alongside you, to teach and train you if that's what you need, to support you, to cheer you on. We don't bite, not often anyway. We're also just taking this thing step by step as God slowly reveals his plan to us. But please don't allow yourself to miss out on all that God wants to do in and through you. So how can we ensure that our identity is in Christ? Sometimes we know in our head that God loves us and created us for purpose, but how do we get it from our head to our heart? How do we get to a place where we truly believe that God is for us and has chosen us? Well, firstly, I think we need to be honest with ourselves. We need to set aside some time for thinking and working through what our core beliefs are about God and about ourselves. How do I view me? Do I believe that God has chosen me and created me for purpose? Do I believe that I have something to offer? What do I believe about God and his character? It's so important that we wrestle with these questions. This is why life groups are so good. I know they can be really uncomfortable sometimes, but they also give us that space and that opportunity to wrestle with questions that really matter. In particular, the courses like Freedom in Christ can really help us to gain a better understanding of who we are and who God is. Maybe we'll run that course again if there's the interest. But be honest with yourself about what your core beliefs are and do something to work on them. Is it a view of me, a view of God, or both that I need to work on? There's always room for improvement. Secondly, I would really encourage you to get support. We were made to be in community. No one is meant to struggle alone. We all need people that we can talk to, rely on and work through things with. Again, joining a life group or working on friendships with like-minded people can give us the support that we could all do with to keep going, whilst also learning more about who God is. Or if some de deeper work needs to take place, put steps in place to get the support that you need to do that. If you don't know where to start with this, please do talk to us. I would really highly recommend this book, Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess by Dr. Caroline Leaf, which talks you through proven scientific strategies to reduce anxiety, stress and toxic thinking. Though again, even if you want to do that, I would suggest that you tell someone that you're going through that, someone that you trust, so that they can cheer you on and encourage you on your journey. Finally, I think we need to pray for revelation. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you who God is. Invite God into your life and heart and mind. Ask for a spirit of wisdom and discern what God is saying to you and about you. Ask him to show you what he sees when he looks at the core of who you are. Ask him who he created you to be. Let's pray now. Lord God, we thank you that you have chosen us, 
that we are loved, that we are forgiven and blameless in your sight. Thank you that we belong to you and thank you for your mercy and your grace that you so freely give to us despite us not deserving it. <coughs> I pray that you would give each person listening now a fresh revelation of your love for them. Holy Spirit, come and disperse any lies that have been spoken over people. Break through into people's hearts and minds and show them how you see them. Give them revelation of the Father's love that no matter what they do, they will still be loved and forgiven. Holy Spirit, come now and do your work in us. Amen. <coughs>